If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Beyond the Paper Gown, hosted by Dr. Mitzi Krakover, helps people think critically about women's health issues, encouraging them to question and explore the complexities of healthcare systems, scientific advancements, and societal norms. There's a really cool episode that you should check out called Midday Menopause App. And that's about how AI and sensor technology can provide personalized interventions to manage menopause symptoms effectively. Check out Beyond the Paper Gown on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Iowa to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. This is episode 114 of the podcast. If you're new to the show, I want to welcome you. Iowa to Health is your place for trusted health guidance and support. Whether you're looking to improve your health or just seeking ways to stay well, we're here for you. This growing community is on a mission to improve our state of being and experience together on the planet. So today's episode is an interview of me um, by Alex Morale for the podcast Twin Cities Wellness Collective here in Minneapolis. Alex and I met a while back and found out that not only do we share an interest in health and wellness, we both have a passion for building communities. And I'm sharing this one because Alex asked some really great questions, and I think it's the best explanation of craniosacral therapy that I've given so far on the podcast. After 25 years of using this method to treat a whole host of health conditions, it has become a staple of my private practice, and the one thing that I'm most frequently referred to for from doctors and health professionals from a variety of fields of care, which I go into detail about in this interview. Uh, I also explain the best use of this form of therapy to get our nervous system health back on track. Here's my conversation with Alex Morale. I'm excited to have you on the show, Jeremy, and I, I think a great starting point is, can you just give us a little bit of the background of what inspired you to be an integrative health practitioner? I think like a lot of people who end up in like a very specific field in health, it's usually because they either had a challenge in, in their own life health-wise or with family members. And so that is definitely my story. I was an English major, so this was not the direction I had planned on at all. And I took a little detour in my uh, right after college and got really into playing music. And so I, you know, I was kind of Still trying to work a little odd jobs here and there and trying to figure out about what I wanted to do with my career. I was thinking about being a teacher. So I had applied for a master's of, of ed at the U when that program was just starting. But I wasn't feeling super drawn to it. But I really do, you know, teaching is like a, a big thing for me, even in my practice. But I just started having back problems. And, you know, I was young enough, I was like 24, 25 years old, that it seemed like something that should be pretty solvable. But it was just like, two or three years in there where I just kind of kept going down with what most people would say, their back's going out or something. And, you know, later on I found out there were a lot of reasons for it. I had a lot of imbalances because I have a problem with the foot and just generalized anxiety issues that I think were sort of contributing to it as well. You know, I had been very active and that detour into music, I think, was, you know, putting me in a pretty bad place as far as sleep because I, you know, had been an athlete all my younger years I was a basketball player and I, I was a I rode crew in college both of which were pretty intense you know training stuff 
it just things kind of went from bad to worse, and I couldn't get out of the cycle. So I started studying stuff on my own before I was even any idea that I would go into this as a field, just reading all sorts of books because I was an English major and <laughs> I was constantly reading things. And um, I just actually applied for a massage school just to learn because I wasn't having luck with chiropractic, wasn't solving the problem for me. I'd been through some physical therapy and a lot of meds, muscle relaxants and all these things that kind of help with muscle spasms because that was my my main issue. And through the process, I just I think I just started looking at my whole the whole of my life a little bit more. And I think that in some ways is what I needed to do for myself to kind of understand what that balance looked like. So that was really the big push for me. It was I, I knew I had to kind of like start taking care of myself in a totally different way as a grown up. Which you know, at, at twenty four, you think you're pretty grown up, but <laughs> really, when it comes down to it, you know, there's there's still a lot of learning to do. For sure. Well, it's cool to see your your trajectory there in in your story and hear that. And um, so and now you're helping people to kind of do this in their own life too. Yeah as a craniosacral therapist. So can you talk more about what that is and how you help your clients? Sure. You know, just so you kind of understand the trajectory of my career as a whole, I I had started out doing massage and almost immediately one of my teachers said, you know, you have this ability to pick up a lot of information with your hands. You seem to have like this, you know, sense of a very subtle, you know, things going on with the body. And maybe to some extent that over time now I'm starting to wonder if that isn't from being a musician and being sort of, you know, when you're playing music with other people, you have to be kind of sensitive to like what they're playing or what they're about to play. And maybe, you know, maybe the same is true for sports. With craniosacral therapy, I started finding that I had this like really unique tool that was like very subtle. So if somebody came in and, and they did have the same kind of problem that I had, like back spasms, or they had sciatica or problem with their neck, using this really gentle, low force kind of osteopathic work was a way to kind of get things to settle down and almost kind of thinking more about, and that was my interest, was the, was the nervous system itself, was thinking, how can I have an influence on the nervous system? If, if there's a nervous system imbalance here, if things are like tightening up on the body in some way and then locking into that, how can I subtly get that out of that pattern? So that's what I've started, you know, looking at more and more over the years is like, we are our patterns. You know, that is the kind of the whole of our lives. So when it gets to, to craniosacral therapy, if you kind of look at what the model is, the craniosacral system, for anybody who has, you know, never heard this term before, is really, you know, the dural membrane system is the housing of the nervous system. It's this three-layered membrane system that houses the brain, spinal cord, and the cerebrospinal fluid. And our cranial bones and our spine and our sacrum are the sort of structural, you know, solid housing around that. And so people think that just you know from looking at a skull that it's just one solid mass of of bone, but really it's it's a series of bones that kind of have these yeah. these things we call sutures. Sutures are kind of like the tectonic plates of that system. So there's this fluid pressure that happens from head to tail and back about every five to seven seconds for everybody. That is this resetting mechanism, and it's kind of a semi-hydraulic cleansing system as well. So the cerebrospinal fluid is a saline that basically is in this tidal motion, which isn't a huge surprise, but when you learn it, you're like, that's pretty cool. We have a tide inside of our bodies. Its job is really to kind of you know, create this midline for the body, and it also helps create force within that system. So when we rest or when we sleep, that dural membrane system will actually soften and open up a little bit. Those sutures will soften, and it basically creates more range to the system. So in some ways, what I'm looking for as a craniosacral therapist is where are there restrictions around that system that can help 
you know, the function of the system as a whole. When it gets into this, you know, this nervous system, a lot of people have heard of fight or flight. Fight or flight is kind of one side of the system. When it gets really extreme, we, we freeze as well. And then the other side of the system is our resting, digesting kind of recovery process. So that's parasympathetic and sympathetic. So sympathetic being the fight or flight side is where we tend to spend a lot more time. And so, and some of that is because we need to have different kinds of restorative processes that we mix in throughout our day or throughout our week that kind of help bring us back to that balance. But sometimes we just get overwhelmed. And when that happens, there are different ways in which you can reset that. For me, craniosacral therapy has been one of the you know quickest, easiest ways to do that for people. It's almost kind of like an assisted meditation with some hands-on work. And that's sort of part of my job is to help people, you know, within that time period, get back to some sort of sense of balance and also discover things for themselves so that they sort of have a sense of, oh, this is becoming a challenge for me, I'm realizing. Or I also could use a therapist in this process, kind of realizing that for themselves. So I do a lot of work in coordination with mental health. I also happen to work with babies, so I work with <laughs> do a lot of pediatric support. And then I work, I work with a lot of orthopedic challenges and, and dental issues as well. And so I kind of work between this, all these different fields of care, which is not anything I could have planned on, but it's, it's, it feels exactly what like the space I should be in. That's really cool. I like that you're kind of integrating with all these other professionals. And I think that's really important because there are so many different aspects of health and well-being. So I like that you're doing that. And what does it look like when you start working with someone new? Like, What does the process look like? Yeah, that's a good question. What I'm looking for in some ways is what are the major challenges health-wise with this person? It could be that they are having a hard time managing stress. It could be that they have something physiological, a hip problem or an ankle problem from an old you know, injury or something that they're trying to get back into balance. And part of the reason I, I also got into doing movement work and movement coaching was because I started to feel like, okay, I can free this, this area up, but it needs to be retrained. And sometimes I have a physical therapist that I work with, you know, in coordination with, but sometimes they've been through physical therapy so much that they 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 want just kind of and, and this is part of my training is really what we call post rehab. Post rehab is just like how do we keep this functional for the long term? You know, that's that's kind of what I'm looking at, and also looking at the system as a whole. You know, sort of postural correction. So that's kind of what I do. My first analysis is how are things organized? You know, from a systemic level, and then starting to kind of get that person's story as much as I possibly can because if I understand their belief systems around what they can, you know, how they think they can get better, then I can interact with that a little bit more. Yeah, that's interesting. I've heard anyone talk like that before, like learning their belief systems around how they can get better. That's really interesting to me. How does that look? Do you ask them a lot of questions or you're just trying to Yes, learn it's like ongoing they... It's ongoing intake. Part of it came from, I have a good friend who's been on my podcast a lot, who's a doctor, and he was starting to get interested in some health tech stuff and, and sort of how you can use technology to you know, solve some of, the, some of the time issues that go on as, as a doctor, so trying to get as much information as possible. And so I helped him with, with intake forms at one point, and it was one of the most interesting parts of it was... We started to realize that this sense of our belief system was a huge part of of how we stayed well and or how we got well after after having a challenge too, and it's so different culturally. You know, he was he was working in uh, he was at Georgetown for medical school, so he had this very, you know, the East Coast has had a little bit broader sort of. He's from South Dakota originally, but this, the East Coast uh, patient group that he had to work with 
just seemed to come at him with all these different things that he had never thought about before. And I had also been working on, on the East Coast. And I think maybe that part for both of us, we got a lot of different kinds of belief systems people had. And, you know, I don't always think they're totally right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, sometimes people have an idea that really doesn't go with science very well. But at the same time, how else do you engage someone by starting where they're at? And so that felt like a big part of, of the way that I wanted to work. And in some ways, part of what I'm exploring in the, in the podcast too is this, is this idea of like, what is health in the first place or what is well-being in the first place? You know, I'm, I'm kind of going more with well-being now. You know, in some ways, that's what I was more interested in exploring and, and kind of getting a sense of how other practitioners engage that with, with people. That's really cool. I like that you're kind of learning where people are at and then helping support them along right, the way right. in, in their own journey towards well-being. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. And Jeremy, I know that you also you have a practice in New York as well as Minneapolis. So how does that look for you or how does that, how do you structure that? It's a lot of traveling. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, it was another one of those mistakes. Like I, I just, my, my wife had gotten, gone back to school to get her MBA. I know you guys are in a similar field. There was a specific job that she wanted that brought us here. And I'm from here originally. And so I thought, you know, maybe there's some chance that we're going to move back to New York at some point. I, I, I had no idea. But it was getting sort of untenable with having two kids and trying to fi- find a place to live, you know, close to where my business was, which happened to be in a nice neighborhood. And I had partners that, that I had started a kind of movement and wellness studio called Everyday Athlete. So that was kind of a big part of what we were trying to do is kind of get people to think about how do we engage for the things that we really want to do with our lives? Not that everyone needs to operate at a highly athletic level, but you know, when you have small kids and you're getting them in and out of cars and <laughs> all these kinds of things, they're all kind of physical challenges. So I built this place with these people and it just became this kind of community hub. I didn't really realize that that I was kind of taking on this sort of community builder leadership position when I started it, you know. But I but now it's almost like an extended family that I have there. And I it was if I found it, you know, I started going back for three days to treat people that I had worked with for a long time. And the people in the baby community kind of knew when I was coming to town. And so I kept seeing babies. And then all of a sudden I needed another day and then I needed another day. So I go for five days at a stretch. That's kind of as much as I feel like I can sort of get away with. It's allowed me to kind of keep that other community going for myself. And that's probably the best part about it. And I think for some of the people that I've treated now for over 20 years, it's like, and sometimes some of their kids as well, and their aging parents too. You know, I get to see, I get to kind of see this very, you know, broad landscape of, of the ecosystem of people's families and sort of understand how I'm going to work with them. It makes my work easier in a lot of ways. And it's hard for, I think it's hard for them to find somebody who has so much information about their health and is able to kind of work with them with things that come up. And even, even just the dialoguing part of like engaging them, you know, when they're having a hard time. Yeah, that's cool. And it's, it's, I like how you're able to continue that. And that, that's something that struck me in a lot of our conversations from when we, we first met is that you're sort of this community organizer or community builder. And I can even see that cropping up in, in what we talked about earlier and that you're integrating sort of with other practitioners. So how have you gone about building that community and and how has that affected you and in your work? I suppose. I mean, I think I'm sort of naturally drawn to it. It's funny because I'm I'm an only child 
my mom's family was was huge and they you know a lot most of my grandfather's brothers and sisters had many kids and they had the smallest i think of of the group i think my one of my my grandfather's brothers had 11 kids and so maybe there was something about i kind of liked these big groups of people and i could sort of understand how how people fit together and i would and i just became sort of a connector and it was really natural more than anything else i just i just liked that part of of the work I didn't feel like I needed, you know, to get paid for that kind of that kind of work. And I think it's also what helped me build my practice. You know, you just become this sort of trusted person over time. So the part of connecting people with an integrative health became something that was an interest to me more so when I started traveling because I was going, I was, you know, maybe I was only going to be there every six weeks or seven weeks or something in New York. So so when I would come to town, all of a sudden people would need a referral for various things. And I did start spending a little bit more time on that, but started thinking when I was, I was happened to be in the in process of working with my friend with this health tech project at the time and thinking there's got to be some better way to get these integrative, you know, health referrals because I feel like it's hard to find somebody that you really trust or that, that you feel like you're going to jive with. So that was the beginning for me was realizing, oh, I, I could record these conversations that I have with some of my favorite you know, health practitioners and almost kind of use them like referral tools. Like, here's me having a conversation with this person that I think I think would be a good match for you. So that was that was kind of it. It's almost like match for, you know, <laughs> for health practitioners or something. I like that. <laughs> and I explored the technology side of it and I started realizing it's just too expensive to th- and I don't I don't want to be a CEO of a tech company and and I you know you know what I mean so I was for me that was the beginning of realizing well I'm I'm used to having conversations this is a big part of my my job is you know kind of keeping this this flow of of information coming from another person and trying to engage them so I felt like it's it's the same thing I do when I'm sort of interviewing other health practitioners too. That's cool. I like that and that you're I don't know, just creating that that network to help people because at the end of the day it just it creates better outcomes for the people that you're working with. Yeah, and I found this early in my career there were a lot of kind of in, on the alternative health side there's a lot of guru kind of you know mentality and it's not it doesn't always start from the health practitioner although there's you know quite a bit of that out there too but i started feeling it the pressure of my my clientele wanting me to be that person for them and i think pretty quickly i i started realizing like i don't want i know what i know within my limited scope and i don't want to pretend like i know everything and i want to have like a real relationship too. I don't want to be in this like power position. And it was it was a part of my craniosacral training. There's this great aspect to you know, Dr. John Upledger is the one who he's the osteopathic physician who started the method, but he was just taking, you know, some parts from old traditions of osteopathic work and adding this new understanding of the movement of cerebrospinal fluid. But somehow he had this real instinct about not sort of projecting things onto people or when it came to diagnoses of trying to get as much information as he could from the person who was seeking care so that they were almost kind of learning what they needed to do to take care of themselves more. And it's not quite what we're used to in terms of, you know, medical tradition. And obviously if someone's in like a crisis state, they're not going to come to see me. They're going to go get testing and do all that stuff. But 
when they're kind of in this like recurring cycle of, you know, that it could be allergy symptoms, it could be some cranky hip or neck issue or whatever, to start kind of getting some sense of like, let's get all the information we, we can from you. Have you had any hard falls? Have you been in any car accidents? Back to childhood, was there anything that was really stressful or traumatic in your childhood? Those kinds of things play later on in life way more than we than we give them credit for. So that was kind of my my focus with with my work. Yeah, I like that because you're sort of acting as a facilitator, a teacher, an educator, which, which you... All, all of those, yeah. Yeah, and you mentioned that earlier and I think that's really powerful because we can tell people what to do or we can help them like find what they need to do on their own. Exactly. And how do you facilitate that process? I think it is, there's this idea called transference which is, you know, you basically kind of like meet people where they're at, engage in this kind of light conversation. It could be about the weather, it could be about whatever. And then slowly you sort of get into just like building trust with them and a lot of times sharing your my own story. You know, I think I don't go too deep into the weeds of, of certain kinds of things, but if I'm having a certain kind of day, I don't try to pretend too much that I'm perfect every single day like that's 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 not real so you know i think there's something about being in that real space with people over you know longer periods of time that they do get a real sense of like what your baseline is you know that you're pretty solid in a lot of different ways they start sharing more with you and over time i think you develop this almost kind of like health relationship together that's just about we're on the same team working on on this one very specific thing i want you to stay well and you know i think in in some ways, it comes back to me too because people want want to see me taken care of. Like I think that's part of the reason why my practice has done so well. Is like they really care about me. They want to make sure that they kind of give me referrals and all that kind of stuff because that's really how our our businesses work. You know, we we're not like a health system. There has to be an outcome driven referral system for for someone like us. So that's been a huge part of of i think the the success of my business is just developing these kinds of you know deep relationships and it also is where i get my information and and sometimes i'm i'm leading them to a referral too sometimes i'm just trying to get the right kind of information where it's like okay this is going to be the part i'm going to help you with i really want you to you know consider working with this kind of person and some and for when it comes to mental health some people haven't you know crossed that bridge yet you know i'm seeing a lot more of it over the last couple of years which in some ways I'm seeing a lot more progress in people who I've worked with for periods of time who have had some, you know, chronic physical issues that you start realizing they're much more tied to their sort of state of well-being as it relates to their mental and emotional, you know, well-being as well. Yeah, and that's definitely an area that's seemed to gain I think positive traction in the last few years given what a lot of people have been through. Yeah. So, that's encouraging to hear that you're seeing that as well. Yeah. And even a lot of my referrals have come from mental health people who realize like they're they're doing the work, they want to do the work, but they also kind of can't settle into their systems well enough to stay in an emotionally healthy place long enough to actually get through some of the some of the work that they're trying to do. And especially when it comes to like anxiety and depression, those are ones that, like I was saying earlier, like we get so patterned in our in our way, our, our behavioral ways of doing things. And you know, we think about behavior always too as just this 
this kind of like mental or emotional type thing, but actually it's physiological. This is where it gets into the nervous system stuff that I think is interesting is that those patterns kind of work their way into our nervous system in a way that's not even, it goes beyond this, you know, mental and emotional. It's not like we have control over those things. That's where it becomes autonomic in process, right? It's like we have these triggers that somehow all of a sudden will set us into emotion in a, in a direction. And then we have to pull ourselves back from that. You know, so and that's just a patterned response. That's where I think the craniosacral work comes in and really helps people, you know, bring people, reprogram them almost in a way back to this sort of resting response in their system. And that they feel like they know what that even feels like again. If you've been in a long period of of stress, sometimes you think what normal is is basically being on the hamster wheel 24-7. That's what starts to feel normal, where all of a sudden you get off that for a second and, you, and you're able to kind of settle into your body and feel the sort of weight of your body again. And this, you almost have this kind of space in your nervous system where it kind of feels like, oh, I'm not, I don't feel so compressed by all my, all my stressors and thoughts and all these things. And all of a sudden you kind of opens up a new perspective. So that's, that's a lot of what the work ends up being. That's really fascinating. I, I, I guess I didn't even grasp that it, it can work on that level because, of course, you think anxiety and depression and other sorts of issues like that are, are all mental and emotional, like you described. Yeah. Yeah. So, what does like that treatment look like? Or how do you, like, when you're working with somebody that is challenged with that? So, you know, I'm, I'm starting with everybody in some ways in the same place. I mean, I want to get a sense of like, how their system is sort of organized as a whole. Do I feel any restrictions that are sort of, you know, that could be postural in, in nature to start out with? But I'm also looking for the way the breathing system moves. So a big part of craniosacral work is actually freeing up that breathing system and freeing up drainage systems in, in general. So we're kind of looking at, you know, how do these fluid systems move in the body and how, do, how does that breath move? Those are kind of primary. If, if those are moving really well, our body actually just does better in general. It does. It's it's almost kind of like it creates this pliability to the way that we can manage stress. You know, so it, it, we're not just taking on more and more and tightening down the system. And so that's kind of where I'm starting. So I use this is where people are always surprised. I use about five grams of pressure, which is about the weight of a nickel. And so when I start a session, I like to start at the feet because I'm kind of doing this gentle decompression kind of right from underneath the heels. And I can get a pretty good sense of what's happening at the hips from, from down at the feet as far as where there's more tension down one of the legs. And that, then I kind of work my way up the body to the pelvis, to the base of the rib cage, so I can kind of get a sense of what's happening in that area between the rib cage and the, and the pelvis, which is where a lot of breath movement should kind of happen. But it's also our digestive center. And so I, you know, that's another one of those things that I tend to do a lot of work with because when people are in fight or flight, their gut usually is pretty shut down too. And then I work all the way up kind of into the collarbone area, base of the head and neck to see what's going on with movement there. Again, those are two areas where we should still have good movement with breath, right? Our, our lungs fill up kind of this whole area through the upper part of our chest. And then we should get movement all the way up to the palate. And, you know, energetically, I even think about it kind of moving all the way up through the top of the system and kind of pushing pressure back down again. So that's kind of where I start with people is getting a sense of where is there a restriction anywhere around that part of the system, which is kind of our central, you know, part of our system. And our breath kind of informs that that autonomic nervous system as well. Because if our, our breathing system is really shut down, it basically is sort of signaling to our, our autonomic nervous system that there's danger, right? And so it just becomes this cycle where all of a sudden we're not breathing very well. 
And then, you know, the nervous system is kind of staying in that fight or flight that we don't sleep as deeply and that our stomach doesn't work as well. So it's, those are all the things that tend to kind of work together. And our, and our endocrine system, which is, you know, our hormonal systems, both those sides of that autonomic nervous system are also responsible for hundreds of different kinds of hormonal interactions. So we think about cortisol as being sort of one of the big ones. But, you know, things like insulin, things like histamines, those also become affected by staying in fight or flight. So even though I can work on like this sort of orthopedic level with people, I can also kind of work on helping bring up that response that can affect that, that endocrine system. So oddly enough, you know, I, I work with a lot of people who have, you know, chronic allergies when their system goes in, you know, and settles down a little bit, so do those, you know, that, that over-responsive histamine, you know, that's kind of that, that autonomic response starts to kind of change as well. So mm. it's always surprising for me to see even, you know, I mean, even at this point, 25 years in, how much someone could change in, in an hour. So it's pretty interesting. Wow. Yeah, that that is amazing. Who knew, right? Well, I, I didn't know. <laughs> but, um, I know now. But yeah. That's really cool to even to hear about the allergies and how your work can help people with that. That's really amazing. Similar to, you know, if you think about, I like to talk about acupuncture sometimes in, the, in that same realm. And I do a lot of work with other acupuncturists. That's one of the things that I've, I've seen with, with their work too, is they, they talk about it from, uh, they have a different word for foundational. They have this kind of whole system idea too of that, you know, they, they want to affect organ functions and all these different kinds of, you know, energetic movement that needs to go through the system. It's similar in, in that respect. We're really trying to get a response. It's similar to homeopathic medicine too. It's like you introduce something, the body has to respond to it, and that changes that patterning as well. And medications, you know, for, the, for that matter, do some of the same thing. The problem is that you can't be on medications for long periods of time without having some impact, too. So, you know, this is like, you know, an adjunct in some ways for people who are in extreme situations or for people who are, you know, just starting to have problems. I think it's a much better way of, of going in. And I, I think integrative health should, this kind of work should be brought in earlier on in, in the process Instead of thinking, oh, we got to hit it with something really heavy, sometimes this is is one of the better ways in. And do you think more people are starting to grasp that, that this is a potential route to deal with some of these issues? For people who can afford it. You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, sadly, honestly, and it's another part of why I started the podcast. I feel like when I got involved in this work in the 90s, I really thought this is the way medicine's going. Um, I, you know, and even 10 years ago, integrative health was starting to become this catchphrase and it was in all these, you know, brochures. And the more I started getting involved with hospital systems and asking around and trying to get a sense of who to connect with, I started realizing there isn't that much for integrative health going on. And the few people that have, have are in it, I've, I've had on podcast, you know, and so that's one thing I would like to see move forward a little bit more, but I think it's somewhat, you know, based on insurance, you know, what's, what's going to get covered. And I tell people to, to fund HSAs. I'm not sure if, if in, in your work, if this is anything that comes up, but I think health savings accounts are kind of an amazing thing. You know, for anybody who doesn't have any experience with them, they're kind of like an IRA for your health. You know, you put you put money into it every, every year, except for you can take it out without penalty. It's pre-taxed money that you can take out and that you can use for any health expense. 
And HSAs are, I, I find, a little bit more flexible than FSAs. FSAs are like a flex spending account that you have to put in per year, and it gets challenged a lot. It's like the, the insurance companies don't want to release that money, basically. That's a little more frustrating to me that that hasn't you know, changed yet. And, I, and like here in Minnesota, the University of Minnesota is, uses an FSA program, and I, I treat a lot of profs from the, from the U, and it's, that's why I know how much, you know, how frustrating it's been for a lot of them to have an HSA. And I, we started doing it more for our family just because I wasn't really going to the doctor for much more than checkups, thank goodness. And I want to put my money into kind of protecting my wellness and, and my, that energy. So I, my kind of go-to things tend to be acupuncture, massage, craniosacral therapy, different kinds of, you know, I'll try a lot of different kinds of things sometimes, or in, and even, even stuff that's more related to mental health or emotional health. That tends to be where I put my money at this point. I think that's the, the change that probably needs to happen. But for now, these HSAs, I, I think, are, are great. Yeah, agreed. They're a lot more flexible. Do you so. have Do you have one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I figured. So, yeah. And yeah, I think they're great. Like you were saying, just they kind of open up more possibilities to work with different practitioners that are, are more on this integrative side. Yeah. And you won't maybe find in some of the major yeah. hospital systems. Yeah. So I, I like what you're doing there. And I think that's a, a good point that you raise. And you sure. can use it for dental work, don't forget, because that's those become very expensive. Uh, <laughs> that's, that tends to be where most of ours goes, actually. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I get, that's true. And I also, Jeremy, I, I, going back to your, your podcast, the, the Highway to Health podcast. How has that played into your work? And I know we've touched on it a little bit, but in, in helping build a community and, and what does that look like for you? Yeah, it's. I think it's just another avenue for me to build another community. <laughs> That's kind of what it comes down to. But it's been really interesting to see the kinds of things that have, have come out of it. And, and I've taken a, a bit more of a broad approach. I decided not to stick totally to to just, you know, sort of alternative medicine or integrative medicine and and more western medicine just because i i started to to see the, and part of this was from being in you know having now two different communities that i'm sort of working with seeing that there's a there's a lot of stuff that goes on that we can actually do that doesn't cost money. And this is, again, one of those things I was starting to realize. I don't want everything, I don't want to just be promoting things that are sort of super high level. I mean, I feel like there's there's a lot of podcasts out there that sort of talk about this, they're kind of like health hacking type podcasts. You know, they seem to be driven for like entrepreneurs who have a lot of disposable income. And, and that's one of the things I, I was kind of frustrated with. It was like, I wanted some really basic stuff. And, and so I've been doing these little two-minute podcasts too, where it's just like kind of reminders almost. It's like, there are some things that you can do that you didn't realize were so easy to do. And a lot of it is just getting used to sort of developing the habit of integrating those kinds of things into your life. But then I also started seeing people that I felt like around my community that were doing some kind of amazing things. They're not health care, but they're doing things that are actually, you know, helping the well-being of their communities. 
and and even kind of getting you know looking at some of the things around us. One of my good friends is the is the executive director of the Minneapolis Parks Foundation, and so I had him on the podcast talking about what Minneapolis parks offer. And by being there's like just about anywhere in Minneapolis you go, you can you're within a ten minute walk of a, of a park, and thinking about that that access to that space and and how that contributes to our sense of well being. And on top of that, the, those park systems also feed kids who are having food scarcity. And any kid can go to a Minneapolis park system office and get two meals a day. Things like that that I didn't realize until I started talking to him. And I was like, that is that goes beyond what I would even, you know, think would, would be offered in a in a community and and how much that contributes to to a sense of well-being. So, you know, those those kinds of things I kind of wanted to bring into the conversation. And I, I'm sure just like you, like doing a podcast makes you a leader of sorts without you realizing it. People look to you for your your direction and and your, you know, your insight into into things. And I I started realizing, yeah, that's kind of what actually I've probably been doing all along. Only now I'm kind of bringing it to a slightly bigger, you know, forum. And I and I, you know, that's something I feel pretty comfortable with at this point. And I also started to feel more and more like if I can use my visibility for something, you know, I'd like to eventually start doing some kind of fundraising for care for people who aren't able to come see people like me. So that's been happening just from putting it out there. Some people will just say, well, I'd like to, I'd like to, you know, contribute this number of sessions or whatever to any, any anyone who might be in need this year. So, you know, that's, that's pretty huge. And, and you can also, you know, contribute through the Patreon on the, on the podcast, but that's, you know, on top of the community of people that I now have access to healthcare wise and integrative health wise, that's been another big, you know, part of the podcast. I'm pretty lucky that I've, I've gotten to meet all the different people. And I think it's, it's sort of solidified for me who I am with my work. And I think in some ways, you know, when you leave a community and start over again, you know, like when I moved here, it was, I didn't realize I was in need of this, but that was a huge part of, of what I ended up building for myself was, oh, now, now I, I, people understand who I am and how to, you know, use me in the community now too. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I like, and yes, I can <laughs> testify to the power of podcasting as well, <laughs> of course. But I like to hear it from another podcaster because it's it's interesting to just hear your journey and and how you've helped grow a community around it, and and even how you've taken it a step further to giving back a little bit in terms of finding ways to fundraise for people that might be in need of different sessions. I think that's really cool. Yeah. And do you have like plans for expanding that or, or, or visions or ideas? Yeah, that's kind of the thing that I'm starting to do more with. And I, I think my hope is that when you know when we kind of get through this COVID period, that there's more event type things to do. I've I've also gotten in, involved in some of the stuff that's gone on in the and the black and Latino community here in Minneapolis through one of my guests, Jason Soul, who was who was on he's doing some just amazing stuff. So he and I are actually going to do an event probably this summer trying to raise funds. A lot of what he's doing is basically he's um, founded this this thing called Rep, which is like a call center for people to have like a, a secondary thing for anything that might be going on in their communities that doesn't require police support, but may require different kinds of, of you 
know, counseling support or, or even just, you know, noise complaints, those kinds of things. They're, they're sort of like trying to work on intervening instead of the use of police, which I think has been a really kind of amazing thing to see. They're doing a pretty good job fundraising, but he's a professor also at, at Hamlin. And, and so through that, he's building more and more of a community around that work. But a lot of it is really supporting well-being of communities. And I thought, you know, I, if I can be involved and use my platform again to kind of help any of these things out. And so I think we're going to probably do something here and in New York. So that's kind of the plans for this year. So, you know, it's giving me it's it's giving me some opportunities, like I said, that I never thought I was going to go that direction. But he and I just hit it off, and I felt like this is something I want to be more involved in and, and with everything that's gone on in Minneapolis. So that's been really great. Yeah, I think that's really cool, Jeremy, that you see like how expansive well-being is too, and that it's not just like focusing on health, but it's also being well inside of a community. And I think that that's just a a neat way that to continue to just play out in the way that you build communities. So I I just think that's cool. And you too. I mean, I mean, that's the thing is like, for whatever reason, you had this, you know, real drive to, to start this, you know, way of connecting people here, and and it's it can be this like one small thing, and it does it's time consuming. I mean, let's not let's, <laughs> am I right? But you know, it's also like I feel like I get equally as much back time wise from the you know different kinds of you know relationships that I've built and the connections to different kinds of things that have been pretty fulfilling. That you know, with a small amount of effort up front, they just kind of keep growing and growing. So, yeah, exactly, and. Yeah, just like like you, I I don't know. There's there's so much I learn from like holding a podcast and building a community and meeting new people that it's just sort of it's sort of like a treasure trove, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> like things I I pick up on from spending I don't know an hour or so interviewing people um, and your and, listeners and, and, and everything that they get right. from it. You know, I mean, it's it's right. I feel the same way. I feel like I've I've. <laughs> It, it's been sort of this ongoing education project for myself that I, you know, I because I yeah. n- now some of the people that I interview have written books or, you mm-hmm. know, they've they've done all sorts of things, done films, and so I get to I get to sort of be influenced by all that stuff too, and then so does my whole audience just from my you know my effort. So yeah, that's really cool. And we're both English majors, so it's so strange. I, I, I've met a few people in medicine who are English majors, and they're they're actually some of the most interesting, you know, people doing work. There must be something about I don't know. I always felt like being an English major was really about learning kind of how to deconstruct your world and right make make sense of things. Yeah, I think so too. Maybe uh, more people need to be need to be English majors. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I like to ask some questions about your own sort of well-being journey, oh, sure. Jeremy. So I'm wondering like what sort of practices or habits or things that you do on a sort of regular basis that help you to feel well. Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, my, I mean, movement for me of some sort is always is always crucial. I probably, you know, do some kind of movement every day. I'm not an extreme exerciser at this point. I usually have, you know, 3 or so kind of set up times when I'm going to do a little bit harder workouts, but, you know, going for walks and, and just, and even, even just some kind of basic things that I do every morning to some stretches. I do some foam rolling, (laughs) um, which is kind of like self massage, that kind of stuff. I have gone through periods where I've been a really good meditator. I'm, I'm not in one of those zones right now, but I think there's something about 
having done that work in the past, that's been helpful for both, you know, I can kind of tune into that at just about any time and kind of get into a space I need to for my work. So I think that's, you know, some kind of meditation is is helpful. And and I also play music pretty much, you know, at least five, five days a week. Even if it's just tinkering around a little bit, I I play drums and guitar and bass and a little bit keyboards. <laughs> so I just always seem to have something going on that way. And I for me, that's there's something in the process of playing music. It's so involved that I can't really think about anything else while I'm doing it. I mean, it feels very similar to the way that it felt. I don't I don't play organized basketball anymore. I did coach my daughter's basketball team this year. It was the first time I've coached. That um, was really fun. But getting in that zone of sport, there's something very similar to that I get in music with with that. And I think just hanging out with my closest you know, people, friends, and family. I have some really funny people around me, and I think there's something that's really important about making sure I spend enough time with them and kind of keep things light. Yeah. So that I feel like that's kind of my formula, to long and short of it. I like it. <laughs> I think that's great. Yeah, thanks for sharing. And where can our listeners find more information about you and your work or connect with you? Oh, sure. Thanks for asking. Jeremy Quinby, CST for craniosacral therapy.com. Jeremy Quinby, CST.com. And we'll get that linked up in the show notes. So if you're listening, you can find that there as always. Yeah. And Jeremy, I like to end the show with this question and that's what does well-being mean to you? I mean, well-being, I guess is, you know, again, this is getting back to belief systems, <laughs> but I think well-being is this kind of balancing act, you know, so that if someone thinks they're they're not well, I try to pick apart what are the things that that you are doing well and what are the things that could use more attention. That I just find that's an easier way of of, you know, going through things because at any given time, usually, you know, we can only keep our, you know, so many balls in the air and we, you know, I think that's that's one of the things that I try to help people understand is we're going to we're going to things are going to come into balance for periods of time and they're going to go back out of balance. And so this this well-being is not something that we can, you know, try to clutch to too much. It's it, it's almost inevitable that just by engaging in in life and trying to go deep with different kinds of things that we're going to, you know, we're going to lose our attention to one thing and have to come back to it again. So for me what what I try to focus on in terms of that sense of of how do I keep that balance? I think sleep is critical. And these are the things that I, I tend to come back to if I feel like, okay, I'm really out of balance. What do, I, what do I need to do to get myself back to that place? Making sure that I'm getting enough sleep is, for me is huge. It's not for everybody, but I still think you know, 90-some percent of people do much better if they're getting that eight hours of sleep. The kinds of food that, that I'm putting in my body, just in, you know, energy is like a, a huge part of things too in terms of how our systems are going to run. And my close relationships, I feel like if any of my close relationships are not well, then I'm usually having some kind of struggle. So I kind of get, I usually, you know, get to that. And then having some regular routine of exercise is for, for me. And even something, if, I, if I've gotten really out of balance, this is where I think sort of the integrative health or holistic health work comes in, is that that helps to kind of, you know, give some energy back to the system or helps to bring some of that balance back. And that a lot of times is, you know, sometimes just an hour of, you know, of support away. And, you know, I think having some of that just in the mix, I tell, I try to get people into the habit of like, figure out what your budget is. And when I say budget, I also mean time because sometimes time is the hard thing to, to find when it, when it comes to these things and kind of program that into your year rather than waiting for a crisis to happen and then, and then dealing with that. 
from the more you know holistic side of things, I think if you if you get in the habit of of doing something once a month or whatever it is, you know, for me for my work because I do quite a bit of work and fairly physical work and I'm traveling a lot, I'm more of a like two times a month you know type person. But I think for most people who you know, if, especially if you don't have a lot of stressors, even once a month, you know, after the age of 25, say, you know, it could be could be earlier. I think that's kind of an important thing to to have in in the mix. And then if you if you do go through a particularly hard period of time, I mean, like when we bought a house and moved and going through those kinds of things, add a little add a little extra care during those times. Or if you've lost a family member, or if that's what I usually suggest is then kind of, or if you're changing jobs, you know, those those kinds of things are usually big big stressors. Then add a little extra you know, sort of care and support. Yeah, that's great. Those are all really good points, Jeremy. And it's helpful to hear how you kind of are managing and thinking about that in your your own life. And I really appreciate you being on the show and I'm grateful for your time and your willingness to share with us. No, thanks for having me. That's my conversation with Alex Morrell. I hope that gave you some insight into the craniosacral approach. If you don't live in Minneapolis or New York and are interested in learning more about this form of therapy, you can find a practitioner in your area with similar training to me at upledger.com, which is the Upledger Institute website. There you'll see a link to find a practitioner and can find someone close to you by area code and as well as their credentials. Let me know what you thought of this topic uh, in, in this episode. It is one that's very uh, important to me, so I hope you got something out of it. And feel free to contact me if you have any questions about craniosacral therapy. My email is jeremy at highway2.health. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends. If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Beyond the Paper Gown, hosted by Dr. Mitzi Krakover, helps people think critically about women's health issues, encouraging them to question and explore the complexities of healthcare systems, scientific advancements, and societal norms. There's a really cool episode that you should check out called Midday Menopause App, and that's about how AI and sensor technology can provide personalized interventions to manage menopause symptoms effectively. Check out Beyond the Paper Gown on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.